today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. you know that there is a move within the church even today, within today's church, that is a move that supposedly brings great freedoms to believers, that you can live pretty much any way you want to, because again, it's the blood of Christ that, again, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Christ will cover. It's kind of like having a get-out-of-jail-free card. Go and live any way that you want. Oh, but I've got the card. I've got the card. I can do anything I want. Why? Because I've got the card. But I don't believe that Jesus ever intended for our lives to be that way. There is a church movement happening that is solely based on grace. The scriptures that speak of hell and the repercussions for sin are conveniently left out. The congregation has their ears tickled on a weekly basis as they fall into a false sense of security. Pastor David wants us to know the whole truth. Yes, we receive grace from the Lord, but that doesn't make us free to live out every whim of pleasure that we seek. We need to take up our cross and follow Him. That means we actively flee from sin. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Open Word. That's why it's good to have brother and sister together, brothers coming together, iron sharpening iron. Again, lifting up, you know, those feeble hands, strengthening those, those, those feeble knees, encouraging one another. Those of you who are spiritual, if you find your brother caught in a sin, to come and lift them up and to strengthen them, encourage them. Why? Because, beloved, that's the world that we're in, and should the Lord tarry, it's going to get harder and harder and harder to be able to stand and to stand strong, to stand firm, to stand fast, to stand faith faithful, and believe that God is going to do his work even though all the circumstances around you and all the world around you is yelling, it ain't going to happen, it ain't going to happen. But God says, stand, stand, stand. Those that wait on the Lord, they'll renew their strength. Amen? Mount up with wings like eagles. That's what we need to do. We need to be willing to wait. We need to be willing to stand, even in the midst of a corrupt and a perverse and a vile culture. Because again, beloved, as I read my Bible, it keeps telling me that in the last days, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Jesus takes notice when you and I are able to stand strong in the midst of all of these temptations. He takes notice when we're able to stand in the midst of all the allurements of of the world, when the world is pulling every way, when the world is filled with wickedness, when there's darkness all around us, that we're able to stand or we're able to keep focused on the reality of the truth. And for Pergamos, the persecution had gotten so intense that at least one of them had been martyred for their faith. We, We read this and it talks about Antipas, who was my faithful martyr. Now, 
I don't know if there were other martyrs at Pergamus or if Antipas was one particular guy who was able to stand very strong uh, uh, during a very particular time. We just don't have that information. The information we have on Antipas is exactly what you read right here. He was a man who stood. He was a faithful martyr. He was killed among them where Satan dwells. We don't know a whole lot about him, but you know what? The testimony of Antipas was sufficient that Jesus remembers his name. Jesus remembers his name. And isn't that enough for you? I want Jesus to remember my name. I want to know that when I stand before him, he says, yes, I know this one. I know this one. But for Antipas, apparently he wasn't huge in the culture. We don't read anything else about him. Perhaps he wasn't even huge in the church. We don't read anything about him in any of the letters to any of the churches in the book of Acts or anything. We have this one little notice of him that he stood strong enough for Christ that even when his life was on the line, he stood and he was faithful even to the end. He stood for Jesus in the midst of that perverse city and his name is now forever declared as a faithful witness. Jesus moves on into the, now into the areas of concern that he has for this church of Pergamos. These, these complaints, these, these concerns, not only about the city and the culture, but they're directly related to the individuals, to, to the happenings uh, within the church there in Pergamos. Jesus writes in verse 14, he says, I have a few things against you. He says to the church, I've, I've got a few things against you. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but man, that, that's kind of a heavy thing. Uh, when you really stop and pause to think that Jesus would come to us as a church and say, Hey, yeah, I see you're doing this. I say, Hey, you got a radio station. Yeah, hey, great. That's fine. But you know what? I got a few things against you. Suddenly everything else kind of takes second place, doesn't it? Suddenly, okay, now you got my attention. You've got a few things against me. What are the few things that he's got against him? He says, <clears throat> because you have there, within their church, within the, the body of believers, this isn't about the city, this is about the church. Jesus knew that the culture was wicked. He knew that the culture was vile. But now he's talking about the church, because within the church, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. This whole idea of the doctrine of Balaam, it's kind of interesting. We're also in Second Peter right now on Sundays, and we're going to be getting into that this week and next week, uh, this whole idea of Balaam. Uh, but the whole idea of the doctrine of Balaam, it comes actually from the, from the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 22, 23, 24, 25. And in essence, Balaam was a, a, a prophet, and Balak, uh, the king of Moab, saw the children of Israel coming and, and moving out of uh, Egypt and heading toward the promised land. And, and Balak comes to Balaam, or sends for him, and says, hey, listen, I'll, I'll pay you really good if you'll come and prophesy against these people of Israel. And Balaam was a prophet for hire. And, and again, it's, it's a weird understanding when you think that uh, he could speak for God, but at the same time, he was a prophet for hire. And 
you think it's weird until you look at some of the pulpits of today, but that's a whole other area. Uh, we, so he calls Balaam, and Balaam comes, and he goes to prophesy against the people of Israel. And all of a sudden, God won't let him give up negative prophecy. He blesses them instead, and Balaam goes, hey, what, what are you doing? I've, I, I've paid you to come and, 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 and curse these people, and now you've blessed them. He says, sorry, man, I, I, I tried. I tried to do it, but let's try it again. Let's try it again. And so, you know, they built another altar. They built another sacrifice, and Balak pays him some more money, and, and Balaam comes up, and he goes, gets ready to curse them, and God gives him words of blessing for them again. And so Balak, the king of Moab, he's about to pull his hair out, and he'd say, no, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. So a third time they do it, and Balaam in essence says, hey, you know, I don't know what I can do. I can't do that. Uh, Lord, what am I going to do? And the Lord says, well, go on. Just go do what you're going to do. So Balaam gets on his little donkey, and you know the story. He's riding along. He's getting ready. He's going to go and curse them. All of a sudden, the donkey stops, and Balaam says, come on, get moving. He starts beating on his donkey because his donkey won't move because the donkey is smarter than Balaam is. Okay, He has more spiritual discernment. Uh, you know, the, the jackass has more spiritual discernment than the, than the prophet, okay? And that happens at times, too. But anyway, uh, what happens is, is this donkey sees this angel. And the angel is getting ready to, he would have killed Balaam. But the donkey stops, and so we find out that whole story, and on it goes. So Balaam can't curse Israel. But we find out later that what he does is he tells Balak, hey, I can't curse them, but I can tell you the weakness of the people of Israel. The weakness of the people of Israel is get your women to get involved in their lives. And through your women, introduce to them not only the sexual immorality, but also introduced to them to the pagan worship. Because God had told the man, don't get involved in these things. And yet, that ended up being the door that they actually brought some destruction to the children of Israel. And that's exactly what the Lord is saying, that right now among you, you have some even within your church that hold to this doctrine of, of Balaam. Warren Wiersbe states it this way, that, that Balaam led Israel into sin by telling them that because they were God's covenant people, they could mix the heathen or mix with the heathen and not be judged. Balaam couldn't curse them, but he could tempt them with sins of the flesh. This doctrine, then, is the idea that the church can be married to the world and still serve God. Married to the world and still serve God. What a dangerous situation that is for us, particularly in our culture, particularly today, when in some cases it looks to be so easy, the things that we could get involved with, and yet over and over and over again, the Word of God says, no, we're not supposed to be part of the world. Jesus prayed for his disciples. Do you remember what his prayer was for his disciples? He says, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but don't let them be a part of the world. You see, we're called to be in this world, actively involved in the gospel, 
actively involved in our Christian lives as a witness to the lost and dying all around us. He didn't call for us as the church to build barricades and huge walls and come and, and build our compound and, and oh yeah, it'd be a whole lot easier to live our lives, we, we think, if we were all in this nice protected compound. But that's not what we're called to do. We're to called to live real Christianity in a real world, but to stay, again, unspoiled and unstained from the things of the world. But apparently within the church of Pergamos, there were those that were there that would again come and say, hey, it's okay, you can be involved in this and still do this. And so today, even today within the church, and I'm not naive enough to think that, yeah, even within our church, There are some that, again, they're so totally involved in the things of the world throughout the week and yet come into this house, this house of worship, this house of prayer, and we put on a new face and we change our language. We change, you know, we put on our our smiles. We, 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 We even speak the language, don't we? We speak fluent Christianese. Uh, and, and we all understand that language and yet that's not the same language we speak outside there because they bought into this lie. And that's the danger. That's the danger. Peter tells us in second Peter about this whole idea in second Peter chapter two, verse 18. He says that they speak great swelling words of emptiness and they allure through the lusts of the flesh through lewdness. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. And while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Did you know that there is a move within the church even today, within today's church, that is a move that supposedly brings great freedoms to believers? That you can live pretty much any way you want to. Because again, it's the blood of Christ that, again, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Christ will cover. It's kind of like having a get out of jail free card. Go and live any way that you want. Oh, but I've got the card. I've got the card. I can do anything I want. Why? Because I've got the card. But I don't believe that Jesus ever intended for our lives to be that way. I don't believe that that's what the message of the gospel is. The message of the word of God is that we should be men and women whose hearts have changed, who, whose hearts desire to serve and to glorify God, not just on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, but in every aspect of what we do, not just in our dealings with one another, but when I'm dealing with the world, when I'm dealing with somebody that wants to stab me in the back or walk all over me, I, I still want to Again, present Christ in the way that I speak and the way that I respond and, uh, in every attitude and action. That again, Christ is living through us. That when the world looks at us, they see a peculiar people. Not just somebody that goes to that club called Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande on the weekends. They're members of that club. They, I don't know. They go to, I don't know what they do. They, they eat a lot over there. I don't know what else they do. Sing a few songs and have a rah-rah meeting and, but does it really change lives? Are lives really being changed for the hope and the promise of the gospel? Apparently the church of Pergamos, the people were being led into life choices that were filled with compromise. 
And there were some within that church that were drawing people into that. Some were trying to live like the world and at the same time profess Christ. Somehow they were involved in, in, in the idol worship. I don't know, maybe they were going to those temples. But you know what? We don't need to go to a temple, do we? There's all kinds of ways we can get involved in idol worship and pagan worship just by the choices and the directions of our lives. Some of them were involved in sexual immoralities. They were watering down, again, the testimony of Christ to that non-believing world that was around them. And in these ways, they were profaning, they were blaspheming, really, the name of Jesus because of their lives. Jesus then equates this, at least in part, to the sin of the Nicolaitans. And Again, the, the church of Ephesus had rejected the teaching of the Nicolaitans, but here in Pergamos, they seemed to be embracing it. At least some of the church were embracing it. What does it say in verse 15? It says, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And Jesus says, this is something I hate. I hate. Now, we, we, we talked about that a little bit when we looked at Ephesus. And again, there's a lot of speculation about what the Nicolaitans were. But some do feel the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was where we see the beginning of the clerical hierarchy of the church. Place and position and power were things to be strived for within the church. That, again, just being brothers and sisters in Christ wasn't enough. No, I wanted to be in a, in a position of authority within the church, and that position wasn't enough. And so you, you strive for this position, and that position wasn't enough. You strive for another, and pretty soon everybody else was underneath you, and there was power. There was, there was again, that, that position. And, and, oh, how man loves to have power and, and authority. Rule and authority over the body of believers was something that, that they sought and something that they bought if necessary. Because we do know that during that particular age of the church around that third century and, and on, that position within the church could actually be bought. Uh, it had absolutely nothing to do with your, your spiritual relationship. If you had the right influence, you could get a place, you could get a position, you could have authority within the church. Well, some speak of the church of Pergamos being, again, representative of that third century church and, and how that the church, by and large, had become accepted by the outside world. As a matter of fact, all these worldly attitudes, these these actions, and, and the leadership uh, that had begun to be in place in the structure uh, and in the mission of the church suddenly had that hierarchy, it had that authority, that kind of a power. And there seemed to be this evident compromise to the purity of the gospel, and the, the, the pagan morality was, was all mixed within. As a matter of fact, it was during that third century and on that they started bringing idol worship into the church by the little statues and the special prayers and the pictures and the different things. And again, pagan idol worship was drawn right into the church. And again, Jesus says, I hate those kinds of things. Why? Because again, it takes our heart and our idea off of that personal relationship with Christ. What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? 
that God is spirit and they that worship him have to worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus didn't say, well, what you need to do is take a little rock and carve that out or take that little oak tree and carve that out. As a matter of fact, doesn't the word speak just totally, absolutely against that, that they make all these statues, they make these carvings, the eyes can't see, the hands can't do anything, the mouths can't speak. And yet the church started adopting that kind of a thing as, as part of their worship style, worship experience. They adopted the very concepts of paganism into the church. Jesus said in verse 16, repent, repent or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth, the sword of his mouth, the reality and the truth of God's word. And you know what? In the When it came to time, say, again, if that is the culture and if that is the time frame, just bear with me for a moment on that. The Reformation or the change of the church from the, the depths of the pagan worship and all of that, when, when, when Reformation started to come about, what did they fight them with? They fought them with the word of God. Yeah, but we have this papal decree, but we have the words of the bishops. We have the, the declarations of the Pope. We have the history and the tradition of the church. And the reformers would come and say, yeah, but we have the word of God. He's going to fight them with the word, with the sword of his mouth. The word of the Lord is a mighty foe. No one can stand against his word. No one's going to be able to stand against his truth. And his judgment, he says, will come quickly. And it comes when they're not aware. And I wonder for the church today, and I always want to bring it home today because that's one of the things I don't want us to look and say, well, that was from the churches of ages ago because I believe every aspect of every one of these churches is evident within the church today. Beloved, if if we're not being directed and led and taught and instructed through this word, then why in the world do they come together? Why, why, do, why does the church, why are, why are these mass meetings that come together? They come together for, uh, for, for rah-rah campaigns, you know. They, they, they come together for feel-good meetings. They come together for uh, self-exploration and, uh, you know, 12 points on how to be a good husband or a good wife. But, beloved, it's the Word of God that's going to change people's lives. It's the thing that you need. It's the thing that I need. It's the thing that's going to make a difference in our life. It's the Word of God that has the power. It has the authority. It doesn't mean that I don't need to have, you know, five or six or maybe 12 or 50 uh, steps of how to be a better husband. I, I know that I can use that. But that's not what's going to make the power within my life. I, I, don't, I don't need to go to church to learn that. Man, I want the word poured into me. I want you to receive the word. Jesus says in verse 17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives us. So it receives it. Fact is, is we've all got new names written in glory, ready to go for us. I don't know how common your name is. Rather, you know, you, maybe you grew up thinking, well, everybody's got my name. I wish I had a different name. Or maybe you think, I don't like my name. I don't know what kind of a name. I don't know if they're going to be Hebrew names or Latin names or Greek names. I don't know. But it's going to be a name that the Lord is going to give us. It's going to be specific and special to each one of us. Why? 
because it's part of the blessings of who we are in Christ. A name, a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. And when the Lord calls that name, we'll know that it's our name. We'll know that it's him calling us. Because again, it's the relationship that we're growing and being strengthened in through him, through his word, through the faithfulness of our life in him. Thanks for spending your time with us today on The Open Word. If you were encouraged by this time together, learning more about Jesus and want to hear more, we'd invite you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, where you can get notified of the latest message as soon as it's available, or find archive messages you may have missed. You can even find these teachings online at theopenword.com. There you can learn all about The Open Word and the ministry we're blessed to be a part of. In fact, Pastor David has a special message for you about how you too can be involved in sharing the good news through the open word. There really is something deeply refreshing about being a part of God's kingdom. Not only do I get to learn more about him every time I open the Bible, but he's given me the great privilege of sharing his love with you. This radio ministry and others like it, they're a wonderful and powerful way that God is reaching people across the nation and well, across the world with the gospel. We're blessed to be a part of it. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. Would you prayerfully consider being a part of our financial support here at The Open Word? If you feel led to give, visit theopenword.com and click on the support option. That'll bring you to our secure giving page. Your gift will help us to continue to grow and spread the word of God. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord. Thanks, Pastor David. As our time with you draws to a close, know that we continue to pray for you and for more and more people to come to know Jesus through this ministry. Join us next time to continue studying Revelation right here on The Open Word.